Welcome back, everyone, to the 26th episode of the Take the Points podcast, part of the Blue Wire podcast network. I'm your co-host, Tate Seth, reunited with Arjun Menon as he's made his return from New York to be here today to, to talk about the games with us. So, Arjun, uh, fill us in on, on your trip. Yeah, so first off, I you know happy to be back. Definitely uh, missed doing the preview episode, but you know the episode with uh, Sam Shortstein was awesome. If people haven't gone and listened to that, I encourage them to do so. But yeah, New York was kind of everything I expected. Um, it, it kind of felt a little bit like Vegas in the night, where it's just very crowded and, and a lot of weird people, uh, <laughs> both in a good and bad way, if that, if that makes sense. But but yeah, New York was fun. Um, definitely got a little bit under the weather over there just because it's a completely different environment. But um, for those who don't know, like it, it was a club wide trip. So I was traveling with people from my sports business clubs and we just toured a bunch of different sports companies like the NBA, the NFL um, and like NYCFC. So it was definitely a very cool trip, but uh, very happy to be back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, that the NFL uh, offices, you know, after you being there, they knew that you know, they wanted both of our teams to win this week. Um, so Chargers and Lions won, which was fun. And like the 20-hour the stretch from Saturday night college football games where we got a bunch of good upsets to the best early slate I think we've had this year yeah. in NFL was like a great reminder of like why football season is like so much fun. And so like as we go into like breaking down these games, like, you know, we're getting to the midpoint of the season now. So like we're going to start looking at, you know, teams like at big picture uh, too, as well as just like breaking down like what happened in these individual matchups. So let's start with with the upset on Sunday that really shocked everyone. The New York Jets, 10 and a half point underdogs knocking off the Buffalo Bills. Uh, what was your main reaction from this game? Yeah, I, I definitely was watching the game. Um, I, I think we need to be a little bit concerned about Josh Allen. He's kind of put together two like performances that haven't been at that MVP level we have seen. And like, okay, a quarterback doesn't have to perform at an MVP level every game, but against the Packers, he had three turnover worthy plays against the Jets. He had four turnover worthy plays, two picks in both games. And it's like, it's those type of performances where I kind of question, like, is he really in the Mahomes tier? And like, that's like Mahomes is probably in a tier of his own. Like Mm -hmm. that was probably my big takeaway from this game is like Josh Allen has struggled in the past two weeks and have it's been against two like solid defenses like the Packers defense is kind of un- underwhelmed but the Jets defense is legit and it kind of reaffirms my biggest worry about the Bills going into the season which was I don't think they have like a true third receiving target Diggs is top five in the NFL and Gabe Davis does everything well that Diggs isn't as proficient in mm-hmm. but they don't really have a third guy with Jamison Crowder out like Isaiah McKenzie's kind of those like fantasy football darlings i think he's an analytical darling in like nfl offices and stuff with analytics models but he's not a guy that you can rely on consistently game over game and they don't have that third guy that when sauce gardner gardner takes away gabe davis and then they put a double on stefan diggs who is allen going to go to and i think Mm -hmm. the jets did a very good job of kind of taking away allen's weapons and we kind of saw it in the stat line that like this is one of allen's worst performances through the air even if he did add a lot of value on the ground Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I love that point about the third receiving option because we know how important secondary receivers are for me. And for me, like I still think the Bills are the best team in the NFL, but my worry lies with Josh Allen's performance under pressure. Um, You know, we, we talk about a lot how performance under pressure because of it being a smaller sample size and such a volatile play is, a, you know, a decent amount less stable than performance when not pressured. And so, you know, coming in to this game, 
Josh Allen was completing 50% of his passes under pressure, which is a very high clip, um, you know, 8.8 yards per attempt with six touchdowns, one interception, highest EPA uh, per play in the league when pressured. In this game, he was pressured on 13 dropbacks. Um, and, and, you know, my friend Aaron had a really good point about how the, the Jets only blitzed three times and were able to generate, you know, 13 pressures, which is pretty crazy. And he only completed one pass on those 13 dropbacks, yeah. um, five incompletions and then five sacks. So, you know, maybe we started to see some regression with him these past two games uh, under pressure. Like his, his clean pocket, not pressured uh, performance was still just as good as his season average um, coming into the game. But, you know, I, I do think that there is, you know, maybe a, a slight signal with him regressing under pressure. And, you know, maybe because of that, he'll finish as the fifth or sixth ranked quarterback in EPA per play instead of the second, uh, like he has been these these first couple of weeks. Yeah. You kind of hit the nail on the head with Josh Allen. I do want to touch on the Jets defense, which has been one of the highlights, not only for them, but like I think of this season, like mm-hmm. the Jets were awful last year on defense. Um, Go out and get Sauce Gardner, kind of uh, get Carl Lawson back from injury. Now we see kind of this vision that Salah had when he was uh, hired. Like, And he's kind of just building what he had in San Francisco yeah. where you have this stacked D-line, like they lost Sheldon Rankins, but you have Carl Lawson, Quinnen Williams, John Franklin Myers, uh, Jermaine Johnson's like not that great, but like still first round pick. And you have just this continuous rotation of these edge guys to keep everyone healthy. And Quinnen Williams is now developed into probably the second best defensive tackle in the NFL behind mm-hmm. Aaron Donald. And Sauce Gardner is is uh, Richard Sherman. C.J. Mosley is not Fred Warner, but like he's, he's still a, a pretty good or a solid middle linebacker. And then you have two fine safeties with you know Jordan Whitehead and I, I guess like Ashton. I think it's Ashton Davis or something. Um, but the yeah the Jets defense is really rounding into form. Currently top seven in pressure rate in the NFL, and I think they just pose a lot of problems for teams that kind of just rely on one guy to get open, like kind of the Bills do. Um, but I, I'm curious to see if this type of defensive performance kind of uh, continues going forward because I think they have a lot of talent and they've kind of been playing at that level right now. Yeah, I I, I think it's so important that they got you know a, a a guy a top five player at each level that they have with when you have Quinnen Williams that's a top five impact player you have at the defensive line when you have a you know such impactful nose tackle you know, they can really influence everything you do on defense. You only have to put four def- down defensive linemen instead of five in most areas. And then Sauce Gardner already might is probably a top five corner at his position. Yeah. It's crazy that we went from Patrick Sertan, you know, being a top 10 corner at his position, his rookie year in a position that usually takes a long time to develop. And then Sauce did it again. And Brett Coleman put out, you know, a cool stat today. You know, Sauce is faced pretty much a gauntlet of yeah. top receivers, you know, Amari Cooper, Jamar Chase, uh, George Pickens, Jerry Judy, Stephon Diggs in this game, and Gabe Davis. And in man coverage, he's only allowed four receptions for 28 yards, which is just insane. So when when you combine those two players together and you have your back end covered because of Sauce and your defensive line covered because of Quinn and Williams, that's where you can get a really special defense that, you know, led to Josh Allen's worst performance of the year. Yeah, and um, I guess the other point we should touch on is, is Zach Wilson. Like, I'm not saying this is his best, like his best game of his career, but like this is the type of performance you want to see from him just for this year. Like, mm-hmm. you the, right now for the Jets to make the playoffs, for them to make a run in the playoffs, be a little spunky. You just need him to like not screw up, right? Like, he had a a zero point a zero six EPA per play, four point seven CPOE. Didn't grade out that well, only ha- but only had one turnover-worthy play. And 
the only turnover he had was the sack fumble by Von Miller. Like Von Miller is going to do that kind of mm-hmm. thing. So I think it was a good step forward for Zach Wilson. Again, like you didn't draft a number two to have these type of like game manager performances, but in this season where he was kind of hurt in training camp and, you know, revolving door of offense alignment for the Jets, this is all you can ask for, I think. And I think he met expectations. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree because when you have, yeah, like the top five defense, like we mentioned, and then Michael Carter ran the ball really well in this game. Um, six missed tackles, forced 23 rushing yards over expected. Uh, and the, you just have to play in structure. Just don't make mistakes. Like don't, don't turn the ball over three times like you did against the Patriots yeah. and, and like, you'll, you'll be fine. And you guys can, can keep winning games in a year where defenses are influencing elite offenses more than we've yeah. seen the, the past couple of years. Yeah. So, okay, let's transition <laughs> another, uh, one o'clock game chargers Falcons, uh, I think the best way to describe is the Chargers almost chargered this game away and the Falcons definitely falconed this game away. Um, I mean, for those who were not tuned into this game, which, you know, I don't blame you. It was a, it was a really boring game, 17-17 for most of the game. The Chargers had the ball on the Falcons like 30 plus or 28. And there it was third down. Falcons are out of timeouts, 40 seconds left. The Chargers ran the ball with Eckler. If he got the first, that's fine. They could have just called a timeout with four seconds left. If he didn't get the first, they let the clock wind down and just kick the field goal anyway. Mm-hmm. Eckler fumbled. The Falcons defender picked it up, ran about 30 yards to the Falcons 40, saw Justin Herbert coming in and got really, really scared and just fumbled <laughs> the ball away without anyone hitting him. And Chargers picked it up. Uh, Justin Herbert threw a dart and uh, Chargers won the game. In a game where they probably shouldn't have won that again. It feels like the third time I've been saying that, but... Um, it was it was just a weird game. Again, Chargers going into this game with no real guys at re- receiver. The Chargers literally had the receivers of Josh Palmer, DeAndre Carter, and Michael Bandy playing for 100% of the game. There was really no other receiver that got a target from Justin Justin Herbert in this game. DeAndre Carter and Michael Bandy combining for 10 catches is not what I was expecting heading into the year, but that's just kind of the state of the Chargers right now. And again, it was there's not much blame you can put on like someone like Joe Lombardi that, Oh, like, why isn't he throwing deep balls? There is literally no one that, that tests the deep part of the field with this chargers group. And it's just all about Herbert being perfect with his timing. And, you know, Herbert was hurt by drops this game. Uh, There were four drops, I believe one of them leading to an interception and another one that was a 25 yard dart that should have turned into a 40 yard gain by Gerald Everett on the first play out of half Mm -hmm. that he dropped. So, um, you know, just a pretty average performance by the Chargers offense against a pretty bad Falcons defense. I think I learned more that the Falcons defense sucks than the Chargers offense is back. Um, But that's kind of like my big takeaway from this game for the Chargers offense. Yeah. From the Chargers offense perspective, when you're without Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, you're just going to have to grind through these games where you're just throwing out people at, at receiver and just hoping they don't mess up. And I thought, you know, Herbert was phenomenal on late downs in this game. Uh, every time this game popped up, it was, seemed like it was a third and long that he was converting on late downs in this game. Uh, you know, he threw the ball 16 times and had a 56% success rate. So a lot of it was just third and, you know, seven plus conversions. And when we talk about Herbert and, you know, I think like this year he's kind of played himself out of probably the elite tier of quarterbacks. But the thing that still makes him so special is it's still only him and Patrick Mahomes that 
get better in expected pass situations, high expected pass situations, him and Mahomes, well, the rest of the league either stays the same or gets worse. Yeah. It's him and Mahomes that get better in these situations. And you just, you feel calm when he's stepping back there on, on, on these big plays, like the one where he had to convert after the double fumble. So I, I think like, that's like kind of like the thing that like gives me some optimism with the charges going forward. But I just think with kind of like the way that the Falcons were sitting on the Chargers routes, like our friend Steven Ruiz yeah. pointed out to us, yeah. like they literally knew the play calls yeah. and they were sitting on the routes on the majority of plays. And, you know, you brought this up on Twitter. It's when Herbert keeps getting the ball batted down, being one of the tallest quarterbacks in the league. Like that's not, that's not a, you know, a height issue. Obviously that's like something that they know his passing lanes yeah. because of the way the offense is schemed up. So he's not playing great this year because he's playing injured, but not, nothing is going for him. Nothing is helping him. Yeah. Also want to say, like, I've noticed Herbert's arm angle kind of drop a little. He's throwing a little bit sidearm, which is interesting. I think he's might be protecting his ribs or anything or something, but that's not a good thing now that he's going to go up against six, seven arc Armstead mm-hmm. on Sunday at mm-hmm. San Francisco. Um, the other side of the ball, uh, the Falcons rush offense is really good. Like, I know you probably weren't tuned in to this game as much as you were with the Lions, which we'll get to next, <laughs> but the Falcons rush offense with Cordell Patterson is really good. And like, they were mixing it up between Patterson, Algier, and Huntley, all of whom averaged a positive EPA per rush. On the day, the Falcons had a 0.22 EPA per rush um, against the Chargers, and uh, Chargers' run defense is, is pretty bad, but the Falcons' rush offense definitely took advantage of it. Cordell Patterson uh, trucked the living shit out of Drew Tranquil on the goal line for a second touchdown. It, w- it was really bad, and I think you know the Falcons are definitely a team you can see take advantage of bad run defenses. Hint, hint, uh, Panthers who just gave up five touchdowns to Joe Mixon. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know those are the kind of edges I would keep in mind for the Falcons going forward. But yeah, I don't, Mariota just he just so he limits you so much with his passing offense and or with his deep uh, with his accuracy and his and his drop back efficiency. And um, you know I, I don't think it's time to turn to Ritter just yet, but. I don't know how how much further they can go with Mariota at quarterback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I mean I I don't think Ritter really offers the rushing value that Mariota has, and Arthur Smith has designed this offense for a rushing quarterback right now, and that's like what really has impressed me about Arthur Smith specifically is he used six different personnel packages in this game, the most in the entire league this past week. But like Mariota just isn't good enough of a passer to make them work. He's a great rusher and. You know, Arthur Smith has shown he can scheme up a really good run game like he's doing right now in Atlanta. And he's also shown he can scheme up a great passing game in the past. Um, you know, when uh, Zach Japkin and I worked on this at PFF, uh, his, his la- uh, Arthur Smith's last year in Tennessee, he had the highest play calling EPA added yeah. when accounting for game situation and the players that you have. So and that was through through the air mostly then. So when you combine the two together, if he were to get a quarterback, like where they if if they got someone in the draft, yeah. um, you know, it might be a little hard because they've won too many games. But if they were were they able to get a quarterback in the draft, I really want to see what an offense could look like with a mobile quarterback that could also pass. And I think that could be you know super super exciting. And Falcons fans should be pretty optimistic about having a play caller like him going forward. Yeah, and I think he definitely covers up a lot of the deficiencies they have with like really like a lack of talent on defense and their offense has kind of kept them engaged mm-hmm. but let, let's go on to to your lions beating the green bay packers um in a in a real game like you know last last year was kind of jordan love playing but like yeah. the first time you beat an aaron Rodgers at home since when's the last time um i i don't even know actually it's been, it's been a, been, while. It's been a long time yeah. yeah 
And I think, I mean, at this point, Jordan Love might be better than Aaron Rodgers. So <laughs> I'll take both wins, uh, the one from last year, the one from this year. And what's crazy to me is like Aaron Rodgers, negative 0.09 EPA per play against what used to be the worst defense yeah. in NFL history going into the game. Now, because of his performance, it's actually not the worst defense in NFL history. And like, it really all started with the 2020 draft, right? When you take Jordan Love and you don't play him at all for his first couple of years in the NFL, uh, AJ Dillon is ineffective. Like when we were talking about how did the Packers not score on multiple go to go, goal to go situations, it was because Dillon can't run the ball in. And like they just don't use Aaron Jones, who's clearly the best player in their offense right now. He's the most impactful player. They just don't use him as much as they should. And then they took the fullback, who also doesn't do much either. So they just have two lead blockers yeah. between um, Dillon and, and Deguera. So that's that's like where the, like the downfall of the Packers have been. And, you know, other than like Alan Lazard, who had a really good game, they were just throwing bubble screens to Sammy Watkins yep. that weren't working. No one else was getting open. Uh, you know, Rodgers was was getting pressured and like all that kind of came together with a lot of the luck on the interceptions to lead to the, the Lions winning this game. Yeah, it's it's crazy that the, I mean, Rodgers had a 0.53 EPA per play on third and fourth down which is like still pretty like it could be higher if he didn't throw that fourth and one interception mm -hmm. at the goal line. And so like the problem with that interception is like he threw it and it resulted in a touchback. So Lions got the extra 20 yards as well. Um, but yeah, I just like, this was a game where I was like, okay, if, if anyone could probably, you know, if there's one team that will struggle against the, the Lions man coverage, I'll be pretty bad. It is the Packers, but I think, mm -hmm. you know, the, the Lions did a good job of, of switching up their coverage. So um, you know, PFF has them playing 22% cover one, 29% cover three and 20% cover four. So a lot more quarters, which, which makes sense. Like, um, you know, that's why they, I think they were, they might've just taken the check downs, the bug, the bubble screens, cause that's what the lines were giving to them. Uh, you know, lines still not that great and, and, and gotta have it situations on late downs. Um, but I, I think it was also more surprised that the green Bay rushing offense just couldn't get anything going. It could be because Aaron Jones went out due to injury, but like still like this line's rushing defense is also like one of the worst in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, not being able to score three times, four times from the one yard line is is just I I think the Green Bay offense is kind of just broken beyond repair right now. Yeah. Oh no, it it definitely is. And like this game was like kind of a reminder of you can kind of see the vision for the Lions defense when Brad Holmes goes out and and drafts all these players, right? Like Kirby Joseph got two interceptions yeah. in this game. He's PFF's number two overall safety on the season as a rookie, um, which which won't last. But it's like it's like you can see the the kind of like the pieces fall into place. The Lions came into this year thinking Amani Oware would be their cornerback one and. Jeff Okuda would be their corner two, and Jerry Jacobs would be their corner three. And then Awarie regressed. Uh, Jacobs got injured. And so now you have Jacobs back, who played phenomenal in this game, in, yeah. his, in his first game back. Um, then you have Akuda who can kind of hold his own, uh, you know, didn't have the best game today. And then on the defensive line, you can see how, like, all the kind of like the, the, the resources that they've thrown at average pass rushers in this game really came through like Josh Pascal was second round pick wasn't supposed to be an elite pass rusher but he's pretty good um Ian Hutchinson you know is, isn't still making like a, a crazy high impact but he's played at a high level and then you have Derek Barnes who's kind of a hybrid linebacker pass rusher 
who can who was really really good rushing the pass in this game so like the pieces are kind of there it's just they have to play at a more consistent level yeah but when you get to play the packers who have become a get right game for defenses uh more than the other way around yeah. it really helps to to build optimism there yeah did you have any big takeaways from the Lions' offense in this game i think that you can really see goff's limitations Okay. And kind of like what he is, because like Monra St. Brown is, you know, one of the better receivers in the league right now. And, you know, he he's he's just not hitting him as much as he should be. But, you know, getting getting Swift back, I think, is is really helping. Um, I just think that you need someone who can create when there's pressure or when the first read isn't open. And Goff isn't giving that to you right now. So, you know, if you get a top five pick, I do think you have to go quarterback there, even though a lot of people I'm sure will want Jalen Carter or Will Anderson or something. <laughs> yeah, got to gotta chase the upside if, if you're the Lions and you have the chance. Um, okay, Rams, Fox, this, I mean, I, I, I personally was watching the Seahawks-Cardinals game more than Rams-Bucks because that was just an absolute stinker of a game. Mm-hmm. But, man, like this is... These are the two teams who offenses were elite last year, and and now they're two of the worst in the NFL. Like I just, I just don't understand what has gone so wrong with these two teams. I mean, I guess injuries, but like, I mean, there there has to be some other underlying factor that we're missing as a public to why these teams are performing so poorly. Yeah, I I, I mean, I think what it comes down to is from the Rams' perspective, they're performing poorly because of all the turnover that happen on their offensive line. So their their problems feel less fixable because their personnel issues, right? Like they they literally have the worst offensive line in the league. So that leads to them not being able to run the ball well, um, you know, also the worst rushing offense. And then when you put them in high expected pass situations, they are also the worst yeah. in those situations too because the seven-step dropbacks made them so successful last year, but they can't get into any of that stuff this year because the offensive line won't hold up as well. So McVay just doesn't have solutions to these problems. Like we've seen other uh, coordinators like Brian Dable and Arthur Smith come in and they have these really bad offensive lines that, you know, underperform last year and have solutions in the run game to account for that. And maybe it's because like McVay doesn't have the players that they have, but there's not as many solutions for it. His solutions have just been screens and using Ben Skoranek at fullback. And like those haven't been successful at all. And he, he just hasn't figured it out the entire year. And when you talk about how, oh, you want to retire when uh, the the core of the Rams leave, when when Aaron Donald retires, when Cooper Cup retires, like you can already kind of see there's one foot out the door there. And like maybe he doesn't want to keep doing this stuff. And that's why the, yeah. the offense has been so bad for the Rams. I, like if if people go on the running backs don't matter, like Ben Baldwin's site and look at the Rams and Buccaneers box score, like all you'll see is purple for like the breakdown of EPA per play and success rate. Like it is, it was truly a spectacle to see this, these two offenses battle it out. And I think like I mean, the, the Rams didn't have a good run game last year at all. The bucks I think are just for some reason leaning on this run game that isn't working at all. A negative 0.4 EPA per rush on early downs is pathetic. 10% success rate. They ran it 20 times on first and second downs. Zero of those runs turn into another first down <laughs> like that is that is like I don't even know how that's possible but you know Leonard Fournette is is I don't know what he was doing in the offseason um I I want to say he got a new deal this offseason or last offseason maybe he you know stopped stopped working hard at, or something mm-hmm. like I, I don't want to put you know speak on that kind of stuff but 
it's I, I don't know why Byron Leftwich is leaning into this run game, which just isn't working. And even when they're passing, like it seems like Brady was just bailing out so early in his progressions. It's like I understand he might understand what the coverage is before the ball is snapped, but like every every throw shouldn't be like a three strap three step drop back, two point one time to throw. Right, like you should he should be going through his progressions a little bit more. I feel like, and I think he was bailing out a little bit, you know, in the first half and earlier in the game. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, with the Lennon for that point. Negative 1.41 rushing yards over expected uh, per carry this season, worst in the NFL. He's been blocked and game and put in situations to get 4.8 yards per carry, which would be pretty good. Yeah, really and he's gotten 3.4. <laughs> so, so completely awful. But that's why I think the Bucks' offense's problems are more fixable because they're things that the coaching staff and the players can control. They're not personnel issues. Yeah. They have the, the players to actually be good with, yeah, you just need to stop running the ball as much. And then with Brady, he just doesn't want to get hit this year, yeah. right? So that's yeah, why he's exactly. doing so quickly. But like if he decides, you know, as the Bucks maybe pick up momentum in the season that like he wants to be fully invested in this again, which he better be because he lost his family <laughs> over it, then I could see actually see the Bucks' offense being pretty good because – Chris Godwin and Mike Evans are still like yeah. really, really good receivers. And it's not, it's not like the, it's not like the Bucks or the Rams. Like the Bucks have, outside of losing a bunch of guys in the preseason, like they've stayed like relatively mm-hmm. healthy. Their offensive line has pretty much stayed the same. I know Godwin and Evans have missed time on and off, but like it, going into this game, they had the full plethora of of weapons ready for them, and it's just like they're just not good. And like the Rams defense, um, which currently. Uh, ranks 11th in EPA per play. Like I'm sure it was, it was uh, higher or it was lower before this game. Like the Rams defense isn't like anything to write home about. And, you know, I, I do want to talk about Raheem Morris and like his game plan on the last drive. Like I understand like your goal in that situation is not to give up the one play touchdown. Right. But you had, you had so much success against this Bucks offense. What was the, what was the, like the fear about this offense when you shut them down for 59 minutes of this game. And uh, obviously the offense didn't do their job, but you know, the defense should have been playing up more. Like it's not like the, the bucks have like these great uh, separators at receiver, like Russell Gage is fine. But if you look at, you know, ESPNs um, and 538s like tracking data metric, like Russell Gage shows up at 28 and then you have Cade Auden at 48, Mike Evans at 55. And then, uh, Scott Miller and Chris Godwin at 82 and 86. It's like, it's not like they're going to burn you over the top yeah. or like get open that easily. Like I just, it was such a poor game plan there. And, you know, uh, Brady's to his credit, one of the better quarterbacks at game winning drives. Like I think mm-hmm. we can agree on that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He just, he understands when to take the check down and that's what the Rams are giving him. Like you need to force him to make decisions because mm-hmm. when he was forced to make decisions, he was bailing out of his progression so early in the, in the game. 2.12 time to throw like he's going to continue to do that like you can't just continue to give him the free yards because eventually he's going to find a hole in your soft defense and that's yeah. what he did uh at some point in the drive yeah i know i i agree with all that and like the reason why the rams defense had played so well against the bucks offense um the three matchups that they've had while brady has been in tampa is because brady's kryptonite is interior pressure and the rams have the best interior pressure in aaron donald in the league but then when you let him when you play 10 yards of cushion on basically every single play uh, on on the two minute drill until they got to the end zone, you can see that when Brady can just get rid of the ball in under two seconds, you're not going to be able to stop him because he has the decision yeah. made up in his mind already. So that it was it was crazy from Raheem Morris who pitched a really really good game and you know obviously still get head coaching interviews uh, this off season because of how he's performed. 
it was just wild that he decided to roll out that plan at the end. And then the Rams players also just didn't make plays either. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just kind of like the a, a summation of the Rams season this year where things feel like sometimes they're close, but it, it kind of just gets shipped away when, yeah. when it comes to crunch time. Last thing, got a got a shout out Leonard Fournette. You given his under under rushing yards prop in like four straight weeks. It, it it's gone from sixty three to uh, stand at sixty five because they're playing the Panthers, and then forty seven and a half this past week in the end of the nineteen. So continue to ride the Fournette under as well as still while you still can. Um, but yeah, shout out Leonard. But let's go to let's go to Sunday Night Football, our last game that we'll review. Um, it was just it was a weird game, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think. You kind of t- touched on like how. Why don't you go into your thing about how you, the Chiefs lose every game? I thought I, that was a really good tweet. I think it, it it makes a lot of sense. I I actually thought the Chiefs were going to lose this game because you had all the the makings, the formula of how they they lose a game, right? You throw in a Butker missed interception, or sorry, missed uh, extra okay. point yeah. at the very beginning of the game. That's what that's what he does. Like the Chiefs will go down and score, Butker will miss an extra point, and then you have the uh good pass that hits a receiver's hands and turns into an interception that you know Justin Herbert had to deal with uh you know earlier that day and Mahomes you know it seems like it always happens to the Chiefs in in games they lose and then you'll have a Bucker missed field goal um you know later in the game that when you think the Chiefs are about to come back it gives the other team some more hope and then the classic like third and 10, third and 15, Mahomes rolls to the left oh, yeah. and throws an absolute laser and his receiver <laughs> drops it and the, they have to come out and punt. And uh, then you like actually think like, wow, the Chiefs are going to lose this game. You know, granted, Mahomes like took his game to even a level I didn't even think he could take it to in this game from a rushing perspective, um, you know, accounting for 487 of the Chiefs' 492 total yards in this game, 97.2% of yards were from Mahomes. Clyde Edwards-Alaire had five yards rushing. Isaiah Pacheco had five yards rushing. Jarek McKinnon had four yards rushing. And the rest was just Mahomes. So, you know, I think, like, because of that, when the Chiefs are going to see two man, like you've been preaching about the whole year, that team should be playing man against the Chiefs, and you're right. Like, that's what their problem is. When Mahomes uses his legs, he he, he can overcome that. He usually just saves his rushing until the playoffs because you don't want to risk it in the regular season. But since the margin is tighter now for the Chiefs, and especially a game like this where you don't want to give the Titans an accidental one seed again, yeah. he had to break out the rushing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the Mahomes rush. He only rushes in games where I feel like he knows it's, it's necessary. Mm-hmm. He's been doing it a little bit more this year because I think his receiving core is not that good. But, yeah, to go back to the two-man point against the Chiefs, like I think like we saw the Titans play a lot of – man like they or it's not even that they were playing man they were just being super physical at the line of scrimmage mm-hmm. like you saw from drive one that like travis kelsey was was getting shit talked by uh i think it was like david long jr or something <laughs> but i, I want to like talk about the chiefs and we, again i'm going to bring this up like the chiefs receivers just can't separate so travis kelsey ranks 11th in espn's or 530 and 538's um open receivers receiving score juju ranks 60th and mvs is dead last at 91 <laughs> So again, like, and this is not, you don't have Hardman in here or Sky Moore or, you know, Tony, but again, it just goes to show like the the Chiefs receivers just can't separate as well as they used to be able to do with Tyree Kill. Um, but yeah, the Titans defensive breakdown in this game, 23.5% cover one, uh, 13.3% cover two, 11.2% cover three, and then 37.8% uh, cover four or quarters so you know they they were playing a decent amount of too high in this game they did play that about 50 percent of the time mm-hmm. on, on post-snap coverages 
Um, I, I just I did feel bad for the Titans that 101 snaps on defense played and you lose because your offense can't get a first down when they needed to, uh, you know, to ice the game away. But yeah, Mahomes, if, if he's going to see man more in the playoffs from teams like the Bills or the Dolphins, he's going to need, need to be teams with his legs. And I think that's, again, one of the most underrated parts of his game that, you know, people haven't don't really talk about because of all the crazy arm like all the crazy throws that he makes on a weekly basis yeah no it's it's really not fair that the best passer in the league can also be able to rush like he does but you know when you bring up about the titans defense like i was so impressed with the titans defense coming into the game when i was kind of researching it you know i i started to realize that the titans defense is is playing pretty well this year you know they force teams into the longest uh third and longs yeah. in the league like like they 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 have the longest average distance forced on third down and then that's when they can they can really dial up the pressure and you know i think like a player like mario edwards is yeah. a good representation of like what this titans coaching staff does right because they take in these players that like no one really knows who they are and they just turn out like good football players from those like i obviously jeffrey simmons and kevin byard are all pros but you get Christian Fulton, who's probably one of the more underrated corners in the league right now. You get David Long, who's another underrated defensive player, making plays for you all over the field. And then you just have like a player like Mario Edwards, you know, step up for you. You have the the rest of your defensive line just just get there and and make stops. And like the Titans' defense is really special because they're built to stop. The Chiefs and the Bills. Yeah. Because when you can get pressure with four without having to blitz and drop seven back into um coverage, like that's how you beat these elite passing attacks and these elite quarterbacks. And that's why I think they could possibly be frisky in the playoffs. Yeah, completely agree. And like yeah, it's great that you mentioned Christian Fulton, and I'm glad our data backs it up. He he's uh he's the best coverage defender on Tennessee's defense per hour. Our, our like our successful coverage over expected metric we built over the summer um you know he's he's been kind of the a, a spot where that's where like I was kind of fading Tennessee I just I didn't know what what Christian Fulton was going to be able to do in this offense right or in this defense um and like I didn't have that much faith in their corners but they've kind of outplayed themselves and I think they're doing a pretty good job I do want to say like you know when the Chiefs go down it's kind of the in the in the betting eyes like you you always bet the chiefs when they're losing um what did it get out to it got out to plus 190 <laughs> yeah I, that's when i took it out um just because like i i think once i saw Mahomes get that 20 yard scramble on third and 15 mm-hmm. i'm like it's it's go time <laughs> so took some chiefs money line so shout out patty for that um you know uh, always a homie for that but i um, mean yeah, that was that was a very good game but now, what were your thoughts on malik willis well, okay, so as a rusher, he he definitely looked pretty good in, in some of the zone read stuff they were running. But as a passer, I don't know. I, I We kind of saw sack problems come to life mm-hmm. later in the game. But, again, I just, like, you can't evaluate him with the receivers they have. Yeah. Like, Robert Woods is fine, but he's he's old. Nick Westbrook-Akine is not an NFL starting receiver. Mm-hmm. Austin Hooper is, like, an okay tight end. And then they had some guy called Chig Okorong. <laughs> <laughs> like... He didn't even have, like, I didn't even know who he was. And on the first play of of scrimmage for them, he took a, he had a 50 yard scrimmage. <laughs> I don't even think he had a receiving yards prop. Like, that's how unknown he was <laughs> to, like, Vegas and, like, the, you know, general population. So I, I didn't really have that many big takeaways. He kind of performed as expected. And you can't really evaluate uh, Willis with this uh, skill position uh, group that he has. I agree. Yeah. I, I didn't think Willis played like, 
poorly when he was passing the ball. Like, yeah. I just think the sacks and the inviting pressure are a big problem. Just the receivers were so perfectly covered. They had no separation. Um, a cool stat I found that my friend Jason, like, suggested I look into was um, this is the Chiefs' 43 completions by Mahomes to the tight end six completions that Willis had was the biggest difference in the amount of completions between two teams in the same game in the PFF era since 2006. So second most is when the Patriots beat the Titans 59-0 uh, in the in the snow game, um, oh, wow. and so the, the but like this game was close, yeah. and the teams had a difference of thirty seven completions in one game, which is wild. Like that's how good the Titans' defense was played, but it still wasn't good enough to overcome their offense. But those those were the 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 game recaps we had. We will now transition into our "Who Was Him" segment of the week and do some of our letdowns. You are not him. You are not him. Told a bitch I'm him. Quit playing. Trying to ride with a boss, what bitch get in? Trying to stay on the road like the Michelin Man. Put an M on your head like a Michigan fan. All right, our "Who Was Him" awards. We're gonna give uh, three players each, players or coaches. Um, and you know, I I have to start with Matthew Judon. You know, we didn't talk about Patriots Colts for obvious reasons, <laughs> but. <laughs> Four sacks in one game. You know, I, I don't care who you're going up against, what offensive line, what NFL quarterback. There's still, you know, players that are good enough to play in the NFL. Um, you know, yeah, it was it was insane performance for him. He looks so cool with the red sleeves oh, every yeah. time he plays. 25% pressure per- percentage. And, like, when you watch his, his four sacks, his speed coming off the edge just allows the Patriots defensive line to do so much. Um, you know, two of them were off stunts where he ate, where he looped through the A-gap from kind of like a wide nine stance, which is just crazy speed. The other two was just, you know, kind of speed rushes around yeah. the edge. And he provides so much versatility to the Patriots defense. He's been a huge reason why they've been so good these past two years. And it was really cool to see him get that many sacks in one game and get some recognition. I have to say, I think, I was so wrong about the Judon signing back in 2020 because I was like, this is a typical Baltimore let's Judon walk. Like he's probably like they let all their edge rushers walk. We kind of saw Zadarius Smith succeed in Green Bay, but I'm like, Judon's, you know, he was getting a lot of his pressures from blitzes, mm-hmm. uh, unpressured stuff or unblocked stuff. But man, he's been amazing for Bill Belichick. And again, the red arm sleeves, one of the best accessories in the NFL. Only second to Demario Davis. Yeah, yeah, only second to (laughs) Demario Davis's Saints themed arm sleeve. And I think he has the best sack celebration of of anyone with the I don't even know what it's called, but it's it's really cool anytime he does it. But um, you talked about him earlier on the pod. Sauce Gardner, I think, had a tremendous day. He had a he allowed Stephon Diggs to catch a 42 yard bomb on the first play of the game. But after that, he he really tightened up. Locked up whoever he was guarding. He was targeted two times when guarding Gabriel Davis after that. Um, zero, zero receptions allowed and had the pick, which basically turned the game on its heels for the Jets. Um, before this game, he ranked uh, 12th in our successful coverage over expected metric. Expecting that to be top 10. If not, I might have to manually change the numbers to make sure he's <laughs> he's a little bit higher. Um, I think the also the very impressive thing about him is like he's fifth in snaps per reception. I know that's like a weird metric. It probably doesn't hold any predictive value. But when you think about like he's play, he's played 100 percent of his snaps and yet he's being targeted at about like a league average clip, but he's not allowing receptions to happen. Mm-hmm. And like I know, like in our friend Anthony Reinhardt's uh, completion percentage over expected graph with uh target rate, rate. Yeah, yeah he'll probably be in the best quadrant because mm-hmm. he's just not allowing completions to happen even when getting targeted at a decently high rate which i think is you know pretty impressive for him yeah yeah i mean already wrapped up the defensive rookie of the year like just phenomenal performance and like the bills game was was really huge for that too 
I'll I'll give a, a him award to Tyreek Hill. Um, deserves way more recognition than I think he's he's getting right now. Like he's getting a lot, but like he should be talked about in like every single talk yeah. show right now. The what he's done to the Dolphins' offense. Um, you know, it, you know, in this game, but like overall this season. He had 150 receiving yards, second week in a row where he's led the league in receiving yards. And, you know, a week to week is very, you know, high variance. And like the fact that he's been able to do it twice is crazy. 4.84 yards per route run most in the league. Um, you know, most most important non-quarterback in the NFL right now because you can't play man coverage with him on the field. Like it's like yeah. it's not possible. And he opens up the entire offense for Waddle. The run game gives two of the biggest margin of error uh he has. And I, you know, I thought this was pretty crazy. His 1,143 receiving yards are more receiving yards than eight NFL teams. Wait, he currently has have. that much already? <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, <laughs> what? It's really time to get worried about him breaking Calvin Johnson's yeah. record. Like, I actually think he's going to do it. Wow. And he might get to 2,000 yards, which is crazy. Easily. Yeah. And so if if you're looking wow. for, for a bet, this is not an official bet, but on DraftKings right now, he's plus – or sorry, on FanDuel, he's plus 125 to finish the regular season with the most receiving yards. Oh, I yeah. think that should be minus money. That should not be plus money. Might have to take that with yeah. me on the pod. <laughs> <laughs> he can miss two games and still be leading the league in receiving yards yeah. if you if you put everyone else's pace. So, you know, go go off on on that and, you know, as as Tyreek Hill does every week. Yeah, he's he's also leader in offensive player of the year, I believe on on DraftKings show uh, plus 250, I think right up right above Jalen Hurts. Definitely deserves every ounce of that mm-hmm. uh, respect, but I'm going back to another person we talked about, Kirby Joseph. I went back and watched the interceptions um, against Aaron Rodgers. Like one of them was the tip pass in the end zone, which, you know, is was kind of expected. But the 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 play on the ball he made on the Robert Tunyon target where um, he cut that off, like that was like a really good uh, yeah. play because he was sitting in zone and he had to come from the left side of the field, come all the way. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, he came from his view, the left side of the field, came all the way across the middle, pick that ball off. And again, that was one where you and me have kind of talked about like lines are just one of those teams that just collapses uh, when they make a mistake. Goff throws a pick and, you know, you're only up uh, like 15 to three, I think at that point. Goff throws a pick, Rodgers is driving. And if he scores a touchdown, it's like, you probably think it's game over at that mm-hmm. point. Changes the complexity of the game, gets the ball right back. Yeah. Um. Also led the, led the team in tackles and, you know, just kind of been one of the few bright spots on the defense and hopefully he continues that for your Lions. Yeah, no, that's a great point about like stopping the bleeding when the Lions look like they're about to blow a game. And, and he certainly helped that. Um, and then I have to give a, a award to Joe Mixon. Obviously, you know, we, we had to talk about him. 94 rushing yards over expected in one yeah. game basically cancels out the negative 121 he had <laughs> on the year. He was really, really bad coming into this game. But, you know. Kind of like second, that was the second best performance in a single week behind uh, Austin Eckler week five. And if the Bengals can figure out their run game, like this is just a one week thing, yeah. but I'm just thinking forward, like if the Bengals can figure out their run game, they could be really scary down the stretch because that's been holding them back. Yeah. And having maybe like the 12th best rushing attack in the league instead of one of the bottom five could really help them with getting defenses out too high against them. Yeah, agreed. And yeah, he looked amazing. And I'm sure we're not a fantasy podcast. We're not aiming to be a fantasy podcast, <laughs> but I know there's a lot of happy fantasy owners. Um, I'm going to give my last award to Devontae Adams. 10 catches, 146 yards, two touchdowns, 86.7 uh, receiving grade. With 10 minutes to go in the second quarter, he had seven catches for 126 yards <laughs> and, two, and two touchdowns. 
For some reason, Josh McDaniels went away from the pass game when it was working all game just because they were up by 17. And again, it just goes to show like the Raiders are just one of the worst teams in the NFL, not only this year, but historically at just keeping a lead. Like they're a bottom five offense when winning would have when on offense and having a win probability of 70% and above. Derek Carr just loves to play in these close games. And mm-hmm. when you invite that type of variance, last year it worked out for them and this year it hasn't gone in their favor. Um you know, I think people will look at the Saints game and be like, only he only had one catch and like kind of move him down their wide receiver rankings. Like he's still probably the most dominant receiver in the mm-hmm. NFL. Like Tyreek is one of a kind right now, similar to how Cup was last year. But I mean, I don't think you can move Devontae away from the top three because he's one of the I think he's one of the few receivers who can legitimately take over a game if you wanted to. And I think I don't think you can say that about many uh top you know, 15 top 20 receivers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, he was, he was phenomenal. I've, I, okay, so you just, you just put a question in my mind. So if you wanted to make your top three receivers, Tyreek Hill, Justin Jefferson, Devante Adams, and AJ Brown, are you leaving out anyone or am I missing anyone? Well, if we're doing top three, I would, I would leave out AJ Brown. AJ Brown. Yeah. And then, yeah, no, I, I, I think so too. I think that's fair. Um, But yeah, no, he is, he is in the, in the top three probably still, which is, which is pretty crazy, and yeah, crazy game from him. Um, flipping the switch, getting to the letdowns, uh, good players and coaches from the past week. Who disappointed? I got to go with Orlando Brown um, from from the Chiefs. Uh, nine negligent graded pass blocks, which was the second most of any player last week. Allowed seven QB pressures. And like, you can't turn down the contract that the Chiefs offered you to bet on yourself and have performances like this, yeah. where you almost single-handedly lose the Chiefs the game. So, it was, you know, really, really bad performance from him. Um, and, you know, I, I I was pretty disappointed in the way he played because he, he, he has shown he can play well in the past. Yeah. Uh, I know our, our friend Eric likes to kind of joke about how there's people on Twitter who think he's better than Trent Williams somehow. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know it's betting on yourself is fine but like yeah it's it's tough to bet on yourself in this chief's offense Mm -hmm. you're gonna be in dropping back so many times right like it's it's probably the toughest offense to pass block for even if Mahomes covers up a lot of the failures that you'll have as offense alignment because he has a low pressure to sack ratio but yeah a tough game by Hannah I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Sean McVay we talked about the Rams negative 0.16 EPA per play against the Bucks um it just his I don't know. His play calling hasn't been up to par. It doesn't seem like anything is is easy anymore. I, I want to go through the, the 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 play calls from the from the last three drives. So first drive of, of the fourth quarter, run, screen, incompletion. Second drive, run, jet sweep to cup, sack. Third play or third drive, run, jet sweep, and run. Um, so I, I'm, I doubt any play gained positive EPA. Mm-hmm. So we have nine unsuccessful plays in one quarter. And, you know, I can kind of understand why Jalen Ramsey was so disappointed and so pissed off in his press conference because the defense did their job. I know they, you know, allowed the bucks to drive to the red zone, but they still got, and they still got to stop in the, in a goal to go situation. And the, the Rams just kept going three and out, three and out, three and out. And it's just like, I, I don't know what's gone into this Rams offense. And I, 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 I wish McVeigh would have some adjustments for your boy Stafford because right now it's just not looking pretty and all the all the haters are back out. <laughs> <laughs> Usually, like coming into this season when McVeigh has been with the Rams, he ranked third in offensive EPA per play weeks one through eight, and then nineteenth for the rest of the season. Yeah. He he like his kind of thing is supposed to be redesigning an offense that the league hasn't caught up to yet. 
coming into the season and then like maybe not adjusting as well as you should, but like you're so far ahead, it, it doesn't matter. Like where, like, I don't know, like the new offense, like just didn't, didn't get created this year. Yeah. And when you look at um kind of like how their offense compares to the rest of the league with like Ben Brown's um principal component analysis, which reduces everything to like a two dimensional level, they're right in the middle, right? Yeah. Like they, they have the offense that basically everyone's running in the league right now. He didn't do anything new this off season. And that fourth quarter that you highlighted was like the epitome of it. That was really disappointing, but yeah, haters can come, you know, we'll always have the Super yeah. Bowl. <laughs> so, so I'll, I'll enjoy that. Yeah. Okay. So I think that that wraps it up for this episode. We'll be back as usual on Friday, uh, previewing some week, 10 games. I know there's a couple of good ones out there, so I'm really excited for that. But uh, thanks everyone for tuning in. And until next time, I'll take the points.